episode number five with Charlie Jewett. Welcome to Men of Abundance, the podcast for those looking to level up their lives by hanging out with some of the greatest leaders and established professionals in our community, living a life of integrity, honor, and the abundance mentality. Prepare to pay it forward with your host, former army medic turned lifestyle entrepreneur, Wally Carmichael. Aloha, everybody, and welcome back to Men of Abundance, the Pay It Forward community. Hey, we are on episode number five. This is super exciting. I am getting a lot of positive feedback, a lot of rates and reviews, five-star reviews. I truly appreciate that for those of you who are going in and taking the time to subscribe, rate, and review this show. It means a lot to me. I'm totally blown away by the reviews. Today, our guest, Charlie Jewett, is going to drop some major value bombs on you for your financial future. And this is big time. This guy is unbelievable. But I want you to stick around to the end because I'm going to clarify a few things that we talked about during the show that may create some heated discussion. And speaking of discussion, if you want to get involved in any of the discussions from any of the shows, I'm posting these shows in a community, in a Facebook community at Men of Abundance Community. So if you go to Facebook and just search Men of Abundance Community, you should find the show. Just request to join and I will give you access. And And, and this is for anybody. This is for anybody listening to the show. If you enjoy what you're hearing, you can join that Men of Abundance community. And in that community, you will be able to make any comments about anything we talk about during the show. And that is especially designed for the Pay It Forward Friday. Now, the first thing I want you to do when you enter that community is go up to files and read the must read. Please read that because there's some specific rules in being a part of that community. We're going to have fun. We're going to learn a lot. We're going to get pissed off. We're going to share a lot of information and we're going to have a conversation in that community, but we are going to be respectful to each other. So please make sure you read that file. So our guest today, Charlie Jewett, is an author, speaker, podcast host, consumer advocate, and investment advisor from San Diego, California. Now, Charlie has spent the last 11 years trying to change the way the industry professionals and consumers think about retirement. Charlie provides educational material that helps people to create their own financial plans and offers services to protect consumers from the bad guys in the financial services industry. Charlie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, uh, you know, we've been working together, uh, getting our podcast together, and we've been uh, holding each other accountable. You're a little bit further away than I am, a little bit further into the show, and I'm really enjoying the stuff that you put out. Thank you. It's a pretty amazing process trying to learn how to do all this podcasting stuff and then crank out the materials, isn't it? It is, but then you're taking it to a different level because when it comes to your industry, uh, it, it just bores me to tears sometimes when I, I read the books, I listen, you know, I've, I've watched some YouTube videos, I've done what I can and tried to learn the, the finance industry. You know, I, uh, you know, I enjoy making money and I enjoy all that kind of stuff, but when it comes to the saving part of it, the investing part of it, I just don't understand the investing part. And most people, when they put out this kind of content, it just bores me to tears. But man, your, your personality, your delivery, it just, it's hilarious. It, it's really funny. Oh, good, man. I'm glad you're enjoying it. I'm sure there's a, some segment of people that, that wouldn't like me to be silly or to make it fun, but what's happening is that uh, my kind of people are responding, 
and those are really the people that you know that I'm on the earth to help as people that are my kind of people, right? Exactly. So I'm you know, putting out materials that are very authentic to me. And if you knew me as a, a person, whether you went to high school with me or you knew me now in my 40s, uh, I just like to laugh and enjoy myself and have a good time. So basically the show is an expression of uh, the combination of my love for humor and acting and uh, deep knowledge that I believe I have in the areas uh, that I cover in the financial services. Yeah, and here's the thing. It's not only entertaining. It's it's extremely informative information and actionable information, and that's what I really like about it. I know. We'll have to make up some word, uh, edge infotainment or something, right? <laughs> exactly. You, you, you should be able to coin some sort of phrase. I'll figure it out. I'll just have nine syllables. <laughs> so we went. I went over your bio just briefly, but let's hear a little bit more about your bio. Where you know how you got into the industry, and let's get a little bit personal. Yeah, absolutely. So I came to San Diego um, because of a girl. You know, why do we move? That's why, right? So I came to San Diego from Philadelphia because of a girl, and I was currently paying two hundred dollars a month. Uh, for the lot rent for my uh, 10 by 50 mobile home that I lived in as a bachelor on the East Coast. And when I got to San Diego, the prices uh, back then in you know the early 2000s were just so sky high, prices for real estate or even just renting. And I thought, what am I going to do about this? So if you can't beat them, join them. So I went and got a real estate license and figured if I'm going to pay the prices for this real estate, I might as well be making money because real estate's so high, if that makes sense, right? Yeah. So I got my license, got into real estate, quickly realized I, I hated the uh, job of being a real estate agent. It was all nights and weekends. Um, the only time anybody ever wants to sign a contract is Friday nights at 7.30 when you're trying to go to a party. You know? So I'd be sitting there by the fax machine, faxing documents, trying to you know, make offers and things like that. I love numbers. Got a physicist father. Uh, mom taught high school math forever. And uh, my brother's a professor at Harvard, so I said, you know what, I'm going to stay in real estate. We get on the numbers side, and I went into the mortgage side of the business. So I got in the mortgage industry. Eventually was uh, managing 80 loan officers here in San Diego, California, and they gave me a really cool title. It's, it's kind of equivalent to a petroleum transfer engineer if you're pumping gas. All right, you ready for it? <laughs> okay. My title was business development manager. It was even on my card, which basically meant crack the whip and make the AD loan officers sell more loans, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I figured, uh, you know, the way that I do things, I said, why don't we uh, just study the absolute best loan officers in the entire country? Let's just, you know, limit it to people making a million dollars a more, million dollars a year or more. Uh, doing mortgages, and if my guys and girls could do 10% of that, if they were all making 100000 a year and there were 80 of them, it would be a, just a ripping big mortgage company. So I did that. I studied the best of the best. And as is kind of the story for many wonderful things in the world, I discovered something I was not looking for, which was uh, lots of the top loan officers, if not all of them that I studied, were either also financial advisors or they were treating the mortgage as a part of the greater financial plan because we really are talking about the the largest asset in many people's lives, their home, and the largest debt they'll, they'll ever have, if that makes sense. Yes. So I got into that, and there was one particular author, Douglas Andrew, who wrote a book called uh, Missed Fortune, which was 550 pages. Uh, thank God uh, his publisher made him put out a shorter version, so today you can get through it just 280 pages, which is wonderful. But I read the 550-page book and was just staggered. <laughs> I was staggered by what I learned. It was exactly the opposite of what everybody's telling you to do. He doesn't pay off mortgages. Uh, total contrarian. I just I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. 
ended up putting $6,000 on a Discover card when I didn't have the money to fly to Utah and listen to him talk for three days. And uh, as the story goes, I eventually went back seven times to take the same training and then hired his sons in the beginning of my financial planning career to come to San Diego and teach me how to do this. But I kind of fell in love with comprehensive financial planning involving all things in your life, including mortgages and real estate. That's a, one heck of a journey that you went on there. To, and six, so did you pay $6,000 each time you went back? It's a great question. I got a discount. I think it was 1500 bucks uh, every time I went back for uh, further training too. But that, that original training, which was called team training, uh, ended up taking seven times. So I think it was 6000 the first time and then 1500 each other time. But here's the thing that I get from that, and this is one thing that I talk about quite often with a lot of, a lot of guys is, you know, some people are, you know, they don't understand the value of, of basically you're paying somebody for their information and it's actionable information. It's information that he was actually, you know, using on a regular basis. He knew this stuff inside and out and it was information that you wanted. So, of course, you were willing to pay for that information. Uh, if you look back at my life, and it wasn't on purpose, now it certainly is on purpose, but everything that I do, I try to find somebody that's already figured it out and just pay them to save time. And if you think about the financial services industry, uh, or you read any of my books, you'll see that basically financial advisors are allowed to practice on live clients. Kind of like, you know, nobody wants to be the first person for a new doctor doing a brain surgery, right? Right, right. Uh, in the financial services industry, that's sort of par for the course. It's very normal. You go get your license. The licenses don't require in any way for us to prove that we're good at our jobs. It's just legal questions. And then you go start. And I felt pretty passionate that I did not want to practice on the... And also, by the way, who do they tell you to go to when you're starting is your your family and friends, right? Of course. So if you think of this, this nasty combination, you'll never be worse at your job, so go to the people you love the most. It's just crazy, right? So I basically, I think it was 66% of all the commissions or all the earnings that I had in my first, you know, eight months to a year or whatever it was, went to someone else, but that someone else was bringing all the knowledge and expertise and taking great care of my people before I had the experience to do so. So it was a great partnership. Yeah, that, that makes sense in that regard. So what is that moment that you, I don't know, basically that kick in the gut moment where you made the transition into what you're doing now. So what I'm doing now um, came after 10 and a half, you know, almost 11 years of helping individual families one-on-one, which is really the way financial services is done. You're sitting across the table talking about personal finance and making recommendations. It's kind of the industry. I did that. I, I still do that. Um, I help families one-on-one, but I didn't mean to be a spy in this industry, but if you spend any amount of time, you know, deep in any group of people, right? You learn their ways and you learn kind of the the real deal behind the scenes dirt of what's going on. And in this industry, unfortunately, what I learned over those 11 years was just, it's just such a dark, horrible place from the top down, uh, which is why, you know, the name of my book, the name of my podcast, Renovating Retirement, the renovating comes from me saying that this industry is kind of a rat infested, moldy, cracked slab teardown of a building that needs to be Remodeled, And while I'm helping 20, 30 families a year, you know, being a, a good guy and making a huge difference in their lives, I'm watching 20, 30 million people a year go the way of the bad guys and suffer financially in ways that them and their families can never recover from. And so my kick in the gut, honestly, was just saying, I need to go help the country somehow, not, not the Smiths and the Joneses. Yeah, you know, you're doing your part in that regard, and that's the same thing that I look at many other 
issues that are going on. Our education system needs to be renovated. Certainly our government needs to be renovated. That's a whole other show. <laughs> that's a whole yeah. other show, especially with everything that's going on right now. Um, the job, you know, the and, and I'm talking, to, when I say education, I mean education from grade school on up through college because there's so many, they're, they're just training our kids to do jobs that don't even exist anymore. Right. Uh, so what you're doing in the financial industry, I think is just brilliant and definitely needed. Thank you. And I'm, I mean, I'm trying to start either a college for financial advisors, which really probably wouldn't be a college, but it's a word people understand. Um, and I definitely am starting uh, two certification programs because I don't think you can do financial services without hurting people, without studying all five areas. I call it merit planning. You heard that in my bio. Right. But the, mor- the mortgage plan, the estate plan, the retirement plan, the insurance plan, the tax plan, I mean, right there, you've got five semesters at least, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's how they blend together. And when you make this one change over here, what does it do over here? And very, very classic. I mean, I'll just give you a really, I'll just give you like a really tiny snippet of what happens in people's lives when they don't think across multiple industries. Is have you ever heard anybody say, hey, why don't you postpone taxes to a later date when you're going to be in a lower tax bracket? Maybe a financial advisor, or maybe a CPA says that. But have you ever heard anything like that that just says you should postpone taxes? You know, using IRAs or 401ks, and then go ahead and pay them when you're in retirement. I have heard that. Okay, so this, you know, here's this mantra. This just like a sacred cow in the industry. And I, you know, give me 60 seconds, 120 seconds with somebody, and I always do this in groups or one-on-one. And I say, well, let's back it up a little bit. Let me just ask you before we talk about whether you should postpone taxes or not. Where do you think taxes are going? So I'll do what I call the two-question litmus test. I'll say, okay, Mr. and Mrs. Jones, between now and when you die looking at the condition of our country and everything, do you think taxes are going to go up where they charge us more or they're going to go down and they, they won't take as much from us? Well, what do you think, Wally, that most people say? They're going to go up. Yeah, they say they're going to go up. It's like mm-hmm. greater than you know 99%. I think I may have like two or three people in 11 years that said, oh, we don't know or we can't know, whatever it is. But everybody else just goes, oh, yeah, up, up, up. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. So you think taxes will be higher later. And then I say for you guys personally, and particularly if they're young, like 30 or 40, because they're at the beginning of their career and are going to get raises, but wherever they are, I say for you, do you want to be in the same lifestyle when you retire or kind of have the same income level you do now? Or are you planning on having, you know, 30% of the income and having your lifestyle just plummet and retire? Yeah, absolutely. I want to be able to retire. Yeah, so people want to retire and be at about the same level. I've never met a person that says, no, when we retire, we want to stop taking cruises and not go anywhere. They basically say, we'd like to have the same lifestyle. And I just say, listen, (laughs) you just told me when you retire, you want to be in the same tax bracket and you think the IRS is going to be charging more for taxes. So why would you be postponing taxes to a later date when you think taxes are going to be higher? And what happens, Wally, is that they have... Uh, what I call a train wreck. When I do it in a room, in a seminar, so there's a room full of, let's say it's 40 people, the looks on their faces are really interesting because they're going, wait a minute, how, how am I putting money into 401ks, putting money into IRAs, getting the tax deductions, meeting a CPA every year who goes, look how much you saved, look how much you saved for making these contributions. How is that happening? And I'm investing in a way that doesn't even line up with my own beliefs. How did I get here? And they start thinking, and it makes a really weird face. So that's an example of just how tax planning and retirement planning, just two of them, we're not even talking about mortgages and all that, right? right. Just tax planning and retirement planning, not blending. Anyway, this, this all came from me saying that I believe uh, advisors uh, need to go through eventually the certification that I'm creating, which is Certified Merit Planning Architect or Certified Merit Planner, because 
they're hurting people. They really are building plans that hurt people, and they don't know it. Yeah, and I've sat down with with various you know companies in in financial planning, and uh, uh, it's always so confusing, even when they sit down and explain it. And maybe that's why it was so confusing to me because. I wouldn't call. I wouldn't say I'm an I'm a numbers guy, but I'm kind of analytical. And when it doesn't make sense to me, the numbers weren't adding up, and that's why I never felt comfortable. That's got to explain why I never felt comfortable sitting in front of a financial planner talking about where I need to put my money and deferring my taxes here and and doing and using this insurance uh, product for this reason and that reason because I'm at this stage in my life. It just never really made sense to me. Yeah, and literally the show I did last night. So the show I recorded last night that just is out today. And as we're recording this, my current show, and it's number 42, so it's called The Costly Trap of Having a Simple and Easy to Understand Retirement Plan. So here's the two sides of retirement planning. One is this, and and in this show, you'll hear the most ridiculous skit that I've ever recorded. My kids love listening to it. They laugh all the time. It's, it's, It's completely out there, Monty Python style. Okay, But we don't know almost anything. We don't know how long you're going to live. We don't know if and when you're going to die or how much it's going to cost for medical expenses You know, as you fade out. We don't know what inflation is going to be. We don't know what taxes are going to be. We don't know where the economy is going to go. We don't know where the market's going to go. So when you throw all your money in stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, which are all variables anyway, you just have variables trying to solve variables, right? Mm-hmm. So it is a complex industry and cannot be simple. And I use the cockpit of an air- airplane to kind of teach this and use as an analogy. There's complexity in the cockpit. But it's there for a reason, and they do add the simplicity then, where they label things and make, make it all within your reach, just sitting there in your, in your pilot's chair or whatever. So here's the thing. Yes, it's complex. However, it doesn't need to be explained in a complex way. So you've heard the show. Other people maybe haven't, but you know, here's how you make it simple. You have three types of money, in case, income, and increase. Or you could say piggy bank paychecks and potential. You just have money that's there for emergencies. You got to have money coming in to pay your bills. And then of course you got to have some money growing. And that's pretty simple, right? Right, right. You know, how do you know if your plan is good? Well, there's five possible lives. You might have a long life, a short life, a rough life, a sick life, and into the next life. Well, what does that mean? Well, you might live a really long time. And if you have a plan where you run out of money before you die, that's not a good plan. You got to cover long life, right? right. So, Short life. Somebody might predecease the other person. Happens all the time. It's very sad. But if a spouse dies and income goes away because they were working or because they were on security and it goes away, whatever it is, the other spouse has to be taken care of. Rough life. You know, access and emergencies. Sick life. Cover long-term care. The next life. You know, legacy planning and what you want and leave behind. Basically, it is possible to think about this industry in a simple way. And I walk people through, or my books, materials, and podcasts really show people how to get through 90% of building your own uh, retirement plan before you ever get to the people that are really the ones that complicate this industry, which is the, you know, the commission salesman or the fee-based salesman. They're the ones complicating it because most people are just trying to steer you into whatever they want to sell, really. Well, that really sums it up. And, I, and I abs- that's why I love the show so much. And I read some of your material as well. You really break it down in a very simple way, uh, even for somebody like me to understand. So what was that turning point? I mean, because here you are in an industry that's basically putting, you know, feeding your family, housing your family, you know, taking care of you. And all of these people have, you know, brought you to that point, whoever it is that, you know, as you went along and had all these mentors and people you were following. What was that point where you just said, enough is enough. I just, I have to turn this around and basically turn on the industry. Yeah, it was pretty recent, honestly. I mean, I was 
annoyed and frustrated since 2008 and 2009 because something changed in the world, not just what you guys all know about, the, the world falling apart, the mortgage meltdown, and all that, but something changed in the psychology of the consumer. And maybe this is all in my head, and I'm open to that, right? Mm-hmm. But prior to 2008, 2009, prior to Bernie Madoff, prior to mortgage meltdown, prior to stock market crash um, in 2008, 2009, this was really a teaching industry for me, which fits very well. I've got a you know Harvard professor brother, physicist professor dad, high school teacher mom. We love teaching, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I would you know pay to have people in a room, or I'd invite my friends, family, and their friends and family, or I'd you know take people on cruises, all kinds of crazy stuff, and I would teach, and they'd go, "That's incredible! I didn't know you could do that. Can you do it for me?" And I'd go, "Yeah, I can do it for you." And I'd set up their plan the right way, and get paid very nicely and they would have an incredible life and and that was a beautiful way of living for me after 2008 2009 the job changed really where i couldn't be an evangelist i had to be a pastor it was more of a comforting career right it was more of a telling people no the world's not going to disappear the government's not going under all this doomsday stuff is either not going to happen or there's really no way to prepare for it we still have to make financial decisions it just became a very different career and and i'm not a pastor you know, mm-hmm. in that analogy, I'm much more of an evangelist to just proclaiming the good news of what the truth in financial services can do for people, right? Right. So I worked in this industry from 2008, 2009 to 2016 in a way that wasn't enjoyable for me and it was just tearing me apart. I mean, just not enjoying what I was doing every day was really, really hard. But more importantly, I'm watching, you know, I keep talking about, let's say, the Smiths and the Joneses. I just mean individual families. I'm watching them try to make sense in a world where people are lying to them and billions of dollars are spent to try to keep them believing things that aren't true. And then I show up and try to help and I give them the truth. And and that really should be the solution. You're missing the truth. Somebody hands you the truth. You should have this huge peaceful aha and go, oh, thank God I've got the truth now. And people were so broken and so hurt by their mistrust in the industry that they couldn't even trust the truth when they got it. I mean, stick it right in front of them or say you can call this company and ask them if it works this way, and they'll say yes. But everyone was just so fearful and so scared, and I just, I got angry. I mean, I got really, really angry at the industry, to some degree angry at the uh, consumer, although I don't think it's their fault, you know? Mm-hmm. Just got angry about the way the whole thing was set up. So I wrote Renovating Retirement in, in 30 days. You know, I sat down and said, I'm going to put this book out by May 1st. Started uh, April somewhere, April 1st or 2nd or whatever. I wrote Renovating Retirement in 30 days, and Renovating Retirement calls both sides of the table to repentance. The first half of the book says the financial advisor needs to repent and stop lying to people, stop working for companies that limit you to what you can put clients in because really that makes your job hurting people for a living if you have to stick them into inferior clients. And the second half of the book really called the consumer to repent. You've got to stop voting with your money and giving it to these joker brokers or these liars because – you know, bad guys are always going to be attracted to industries where there's money, but they're only going to come back if they're being rewarded. So people are rewarding them. You know, they're rewarding the hypnotic trance financial advisors have learned to put you in by having a nice office and a nice car and a beautiful suit and warm nuts and a water bottle with their name on it and a mahogany <laughs> table with a leather chair when they sit there and then they just spew age-old lies right into your ears, right? But right. you're sitting there going... But we feel so good. It feels so lovely here. And our friends said you were the best and you're local and you're in my town. And 
all of that, that whole thing is a big, giant hypnotic trance really to get you to put all your money in, in securities where, where it's at risk. It just made me mad, and I just said, I, I, I don't think I care anymore how many people get angry at me, and trust me, Wally, they do. You should see the responses I get you know, when I'm on chatting online or on Facebook or you know, when I'm talking at conferences to advisors. If you're one of the bad guys and my show is out there, they really don't like the show, but I just decided I didn't care anymore and that the industry needed someone to stand up to these bullies and go and, and beat them down. I can imagine you get a lot. Of, you have a lot of haters. I have a lot of haters, and the show is we're at six weeks since launching the show, and three thousand ninety-one downloads. Wow! Yeah, now so, that's you know. Yeah, you're not even big yet, and you've got that many haters. So here's what I want to do: um, before we go into the pay it forward round, there's got to be some good news. There's you. You got to be. You're, you're not just spinning the bad side of all this. Uh, there's got to be some good news for us. Yeah, there is good news. It's two plus two is four. Right, so there's this whole side of the world. I think it was Hitler. I'm not an expert on uh, German terrorists or whatever it is, but I think Hitler said, "You tell a lie long enough and loud enough, and people will believe you." Right? Right. The industry is just full of these lies. You know, I call them the three pillars of financial deception. You should pay off your mortgage. You should postpone taxes to a later date, and you should put your money in a diversified portfolio of blah, blah, blah. Those are the three giant lies that if you track them down, turn out not to be true. But here's the good news, that the truth is always true, that <laughs> it is possible to go out and cut through all the baloney, to break the hypnotic trance, to decide that fancy cars and suits don't matter to you anymore, to decide, uh-oh, wait for this sacred cow to go down, to decide your advisor doesn't need to live in your backyard and have an office there, right? You can break through that and go get the truth for yourself. Is it as easy as doing nothing and just floating downstream towards average retirement? No, it's not that easy, right? But you can swim upstream. You do have arms and legs. You can swim upstream towards the truth and the rewards, you know, the rewards for doing, I don't know, let's exaggerate it, the rewards for doing 10 hours of research on what you mentioned early on in the podcast might be dry and boring for some people, but the rewards of doing 10 hours of research that no one else is willing to do because they just want to trust somebody in a suit, what you're getting paid per hour in how much you'll, you and your family will make over your retirement is staggeringly high. So there is good news. That's awesome. And that, that's good to hear. And I figured as much after listening to your show because you do spend the good news and you do spend the alternatives as well. So are you ready to pay it forward? Absolutely. Awesome. So give our listeners one to three actionable steps that uh, men of abundance can take today. I'm going to say the one and only one that I think is a strength of mine where I'm an expertise. I'd say the one thing you just never, ever, ever quit no matter how bad it gets. So I have perseverance in my life. I actually consider myself ridiculously undisciplined, which is probably crazy knowing a little bit about your background, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I'm not a disciplined person where I'm very good at getting myself to do stuff because it needs to be done, right? So I used to own a gym. Today, I'm probably 25 pounds overweight. I know what to do, right? But super responsible. So what is the difference between these two words? And they're pretty important in my approach to the world. You know, discipline, you'll do it just because it's right and because it needs to be done. Uh, responsible is because somebody's counting on you or you made a promise, right? I'm ripping responsible. Like if I make a promise or I say I'm, I'm going to put one show out a day for 150 days in a row, which I'm doing right now, I'll be up till 3, 4, 4.30 in the morning finishing a show because I said I got to get it out, right? right? And I had probably seven years of trials so three, every three or four months, something else horrible showed up in the world. Um, family member died. Uh, terrible financial news happened. 
weird friendship broken for some weird misunderstanding. Just said, I mean, literally was like, do I have PTSD? I mean, there's so much going wrong here for such a long period of time, but I can control that. But what can I control? What can men of abundance do? You just never, ever stop. You just don't, you don't quit. So I'm going to wake up tomorrow and see, see what's going on. Put one foot in front of the other, even if my feet are, are bloody and full of glass and, and, and I feel like I'm going to die. Does that make sense? Right. So that's what I was going to say. How do you counteract that? You recognize that you're not disciplined, but you said it right there. I mean, just the just being responsible to other people, and that is, and you brought up the the whole gym thing as well. And you know what to do. It's just being responsible to somebody else, and that's what I found that other people have the accountability, and that's really what you and I have been doing with with our podcast. As a matter of fact, is holding each other accountable to uh, take that next step to get the show moving. It is, and I think the the booming growth of the life coaching and business coaching industry teaches and proves something really important psychologically about human beings. If all you did, if all you did was pick another person and once a week say, what are the three things we want to work on this week? And then you look at the three things you said about last week and said, how'd you do? If, if that was it, literally that simple, simple system, right? Yes. What are we going to focus on and get done in the next seven days? And of the things we talked about last week, how much progress did we make? That alone, for, for whatever reason, I guess maybe it's the what gets, what gets measured gets improved uh, idea. Just that alone, for some reason, wakes up the brain and wakes up the responsibility side. And I, you know, men of abundance, how do we have more abundance in our life? How do we live more abundant lives? Just add that. Just add some level of accountability, just some other person where you're saying, here's what I want to do and here's what I did. And it'll, it'll skyrocket. And that's absolutely correct. And that's why this Men of Abundance podcast is going to evolve into a Men of Abundance community for that very reason. Yeah. And how, do we, how would you build that? I don't know what you've talked about on, on the, um, all the previous shows because I haven't heard all of them. But it just really could be pick a guy and a time. You know, pick another guy and a time where you're going to listen to the Men of Abundance podcast for the week and go listen together. Absolutely. You know, have a have a beer, or if you're you're getting in shape like you do, mm-hmm. you'll have a have a wheatgrass, right? Yeah. And and sit there and just just meet together and listen to the show together because what most people in the United States do, and you, and this is very profitable, by the way, for the people putting out the information. But what what most people do in the United States is put out information and hope people implement. I think you could change the world by putting out information and then helping people implement. So don't just put it out there and hope that you know the best happens. Set up structures where what you want to happen happens. And so people meeting together, listening to the show, may be a really cool way to do that. Absolutely, and that's right, in, right on track with what Men of Abundance is all about. So what books would you recommend to Men of Abundance? Yeah, well, I'm going to go back to the, to the Bible um, of what I consider you know, asset optimization or the type of financial planning that I do which is called Missed Fortune 101, M is in Mary, I-S-S-E-D. So Missed Fortune, like you're missing out on the fortune. Missed Fortune 101 was written by an author, Douglas Andrews, who um, is super controversial, which is awesome for me. I love that. Everything I believe in is controversial. Mm-hmm. And I think even though the book was written pre-mortgage meltdown, so you'll hear references to mortgage products that don't exist anymore or to interest rates that are just different, I think the book does such an incredible job teaching three things that people don't know that'll change your life. The first third of the book is basically why you probably should not be postponing taxes to a later date, why you'll probably be in a higher tax bracket than you could ever imagine in retirement when you've paid off your mortgage, have no mortgage interest deduction, kids don't live at home, and you're not contributing to tax-deductible qualified plans. You have no deductions. You're probably in a higher tax bracket, and that's what I find. 
the middle part of the book is on a piece that I just absolutely fell in love with, which is why you should never, ever, ever try to accelerate your mortgage, never pay cash for a home, or never try to pay off your home, which everybody's hearts just stopped because that's such a sacred cow, right? Right. Mine did. Yeah. Mathematically, it's very, very hurtful to pay off a mortgage. If you study where that came from, uh, the problem they're trying to solve no longer even exists in the world of finance. It was something out of the Depression. Uh, that they were trying to solve with this thing, but it became such a mantra where people were having mortgage-burning parties, and there's groups that make money by keeping you believing that. Anyway, the last part of the book is on strategies we've now had for over 35 years that still people, when I tell them, they're like, that's not even possible. You know, Where can you go earn tax-free uh, tax growth in retirement or even tax-free, we're not allowed to call it income, but tax-free distributions you can take out to pay your bills, right? So you get tax-free money in retirement, and it's averaging 8.2 over 30 years, which we're not even allowed to illustrate anymore. We have to say 7. So let's just say, where can you make 7% tax-free with no losses? Most people have never even heard of this. So the book, Misfortune 101, I absolutely love. Um, and, of course, I love my books, so people can go check out my books on my site, jewettwealth.com, J-E-W-E-T-T. And I even have a books I recommend page where you can see all the authors that, that I learn from. Awesome. And I will put all of that information in the show notes, uh, links to all those books and any websites that you just mentioned. So as you may know, at the end of the year, Men of Abundance will donate a portion of our revenue to various charities. So what I always do is give our guests an, op- an opportunity to mention a charity that you resonate with that we would be able to give to at the end of the year on your behalf. Awesome. So this fits well with me, although the charity is so big that it doesn't even really have a charity attached to it yet necessarily. But for me, I know mathematically from being in this industry how to solve world hunger with just life insurance or how to solve world hunger with just lowering the fees that people are paying on their managed money. I've done the math. I've looked at the numbers. I'm working with the United Nations as a representative that uh, is in my life as a potential client, and we're working together to see if I can become an ambassador or delegate. I don't know what it's even called. I don't want to misspeak. But I'm trying to set up the charity or the fund or whatever it is when people respond to this thing that I'm teaching. So I've come out and said, and I say publicly and all over the place, if you follow me on Quora or Facebook or my website or my podcast, I say I know how to solve world hunger. Because basically the current estimate for solving world hunger is $30 billion. And I looked at how many people die between the ages of 55 and 85 just in the United States. Divided into the $30 billion, everybody needs to be worth about $15,000 more when they die. Well, I could find that, an extra $15,000 of death benefit for any person in their life at the snap of my fingers without costing them any more money, just using financial efficiencies and stop sort of wasting money, stop the, the wealth transfers in your life. You know, that sounds really big and crazy to get me where I can work with every single person in the country and fix their finances, which is never going to happen. But we have to have a bullseye and every individual person. L- listen, <laughs> I've shown people. Asset optimization techniques. I've shown them the inefficiencies in their financial plan. And Wally, they just go, eh, I don't care. I'm, a, I'm happy, right? Wow. And as a person, I think I understand what they mean by that. You know, I, I, your kitchen might be outdated, but you don't want to go through the hassle of remodeling it because you got to eat at restaurants for a while and breathe dust, right? You just, right. You just go, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. I, I, can, I can cook. I know it's, you know, green and pink from the 70s, but I can cook and that's all I care about. That's fine. The problem is when you allow your financial plan to have wasted money, money that's just someone could have it, and it's just 
you're paying it an extra fees or some inefficiency is taking it away or you allow yourself to be worth $300,000 less when you pass away that you could have at no cost. The mom holding a kid somewhere watching him die, that that kid's going to die and that would have solved that problem. I'm not going to say it's your fault. I'm just saying you could have stopped that. And the, the do unto others, okay, the golden rule, do unto others. If you were that mom or you were that dad watching your child die, what would you want the people with inefficient financial plans doing? Just saying, ah, I don't care. I'm okay. I can play golf. Or would you want them saying, I don't care how much work it is to fix this problem in my finances. If I can save lives and save a mom and dad from living the rest of their life with the pain of watching a child die, I'm going to do it. And that's the call to action is we can solve world hunger with just one country. I haven't even included the other civilized nations in the world, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. In one country, just one country, if we just clean up our act a little bit, we can solve world hunger for good. Would that cause another problem? You know, overpopulation? Maybe. It might cause another problem. But isn't that a much more moral, ethical problem to deal with? To say, well, how do we deal with all the people in the world and trying to make sure that there's room for everybody instead of let's let people die because we're scared of that happening? That's one heck of an abundant thought there. How do we get more information about that? Uh, honestly, it's so early at this point and there's no fun set up. So it really would just be subscribe to the podcast and stay tuned to me and what I'm doing because I'm going to update people all along the way. So, I mean, the websites to follow me are listen to Charlie, talk with Charlie, or watch Charlie. So, okay. if you want to listen to the podcast, go to listentocharlie.com. Charlie spelled the girl's way. I don't know why. C-H-A-R-L-I-E. <laughs> Watchcharlie.com for all my videos I put out, like what if a giant chicken ate your spouse. Um, I've got sinks and faucets. I basically do a series of videos called Truth in a T-Shirt because I think it's stupid for financial advisors to try to be stuffy and wear a three-piece suit. So it's me in my kitchen using mm-hmm. stuff from my house and Legos I love sometimes it. to teach uh, deep financial truths that will change your life. That's watchcharlie.com. Mm-hmm. And then learnfromcharlie.com is just a quick link to go to the books that I've read or the books that I've written. Awesome. So I have one last question for you. You ready? Yeah. What does living a life of abundance mean to you? Living a life of abundance. So I almost started a podcast called Kill the Rat. Have I told you this before, personally? When we I, think talking? You, I think you did, yes. Yeah, so I almost started a, a, a podcast called Kill the Rat. And Kill the Rat was going to have t-shirts and all kinds of fun stuff about it, which basically says if you're sick of the rat race, if you're sick of doing something you hate doing, you know, this is the one life you're going to live. If you don't like what you're doing nine to five, that's a lot of your life to not like, right? Mm-hmm. So... Kill the rat was going to be, there can't be a rat race if, if there's no rat. So go ahead and just quit your job. And I was going to interview people that have just said, screw this, and I'm not doing this anymore, and have left the rat race and live, live some interesting life, like you know, built an island out of water bottles and now grow plants on their island and float around the world, right? right. So I, honestly, my message or my you know, life of abundance message would really be you don't have to conform. You know, you don't have to go to high school and then go to college and then get a degree and then get a job. There's these problems that need to be solved, like you got to eat, right? You got to have a place to live. But nobody says every single family has to have their own home in suburbia, two cars and a garage that shuts so you don't have to talk to each other. You can live. There's other ways to live that other nationalities and in other countries, they do just fine. You know, anybody could retire any day they want to on any net worth. I could retire tomorrow and live very comfortably outside and eat out of trash cans, right? Mm -hmm. That's a choice of mine to work. So I want people, the abundance that I want them in is to say what they're doing, they're doing by choice. 
they're not doing because somebody told them to or because it's traditional. I want you to figure out what you love in the world, who you want to be in the world, what you want to change in the world, and then go be part of the solution and live the life you want to live. Don't just stay inside of some ridiculous old school American box that says, nope, you got to go to work and be a robot and hate your job. Don't hate your job. Don't hate your life. Go find a life you love to live. And then whatever it provides an income, find the way to live on that, even if you have to live with 40 other people. Guess what? If you have to live in a house with 40 other people, your social skills are going to become so incredibly amazing <laughs> compared to somebody that sits in suburbia living alone. Completely agree with that. Absolutely completely agree with that, especially living out here in Hawaii. One, there's a lot of families that there's two or three, even four generations living in the same house even of other families and another thing that you mentioned you know just stop but you don't have to live in a house there are people that are homeless out here by choice they because of government um because of government funding government assistance they live a very good life they live on the beach they have a tent and they do not want to live in a house they, they right. that's their choice and that's and i know this for a fact i've talked to these people that's literally their choice uh and on the other side of that uh just yesterday i saw a youtube video of a uh, and it was a it was a radio interview actually is what it was it was a radio interview they were talking about welfare and food stamps and all this stuff and this lady called in and said look you're bashing all these people that are living on welfare but here I am living on welfare. I don't work. I don't want to work. I have my phone, my, my Obama phone. I have my uh, rent taken care of. She pays $50 for rent, and the rest of it is her rent is $600. She only pays $50. She mm. has her electricity taken care of, her water taken care of. And she said, don't bash me. This is my lifestyle. It's a, it's, I'm using the system, and it's paid for. That's her choice. And who can argue with that? I don't want to support that, but that's, that's her choice. That's her lifestyle. And that's, I think, life of abundance or living a life of abundance really, you know, f options and freedom are so important. If you're making a free will choice to live the way you want to live, whether that means, you know, three beautiful homes that you go, uh, you visit or you're living in a tent. But if, you're, if it's your choice, right? Mm -hmm. And if you're, if you're sharing what you do have, which I think would be part of abundance too, for the wealth you have, the three homes and everything, are they sitting there empty or are you sharing them, right? Right. I think freedom creates abundance and if it li lines up also the lifestyle you're living lines up with your beliefs hey can I drop a giant huge incredible financial value bomb since you mentioned multiple families living in one home absolutely just to, just to finish the show we'll just drop it in a okay. bomb here, okay cool. <laughs> um, someone taught me this at one point and I said that's that's the second coolest thing I've ever learned in my life but there's a man named Len Rainier from the Wealth and Wisdom Institute you'll see his books on the books that I recommend uh, page on my on my website jewettwealth.com but he learned and taught me that a lot of those families, the families that love each other and they're, they're not worried about you know, killing each other for the money or whatever, a lot of those families don't use 401ks for the reason that I mentioned, where why would we postpone taxes to a later date when taxes might be higher? But he studied families like the Rothschilds, the super wealthy, all the way down to you know, multiple families living in a home in Hawaii, that kind of thing, and found out that what they do is the working children, instead of putting money into 401ks where it would be a mystery balance, you don't know what you're going to have when you retire, at a mystery tax rate, you don't know what the taxes are going to be. Instead of doing that, the kids take out life insurance on the parents. So you have you know, the oldest patriarchs living in the home might have a $5 million policy on them. And every other person living in the home, let's say there's 10 of them, is paying one-tenth of the premiums. As it turns out, you're leaving yourself a giant tax-free inheritance where you know exactly how much you're getting. 
You know there's no taxes. There's no income taxes when you get it, so you're keeping it all. And if you look at life expectancies, it turns out the rate of return is like 12 or 13%. It's incredible. Wow. That is <laughs> – Charlie, that's huge. And, <laughs> a lot of people are going to want to know about that one. Yeah, and it's, if you call me or get in touch with me, just refer to legacy planning. It really is called legacy planning or, or leaving yourself an inheritance. Awesome. So let's just leave it right there. I think you just left a lot of very valuable uh, information. But if you have one piece of parting uh, guidance and then uh, you know, a, a di- any additional way that you didn't already mention to get a hold of you, get in touch with you, let's do that and let's uh, call it a day. The one piece of parting guidance, and it may sound self-serving, but I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing unless I believe it's completely and totally life-changing, is subscribe to the podcast, Renovating Retirement. If you have an iPhone, you can do it with you know the podcast app, or you can use iTunes, or with the Android phones, you can use the Stitcher radio. If, if none of that, you're just a computer person, go to listentocharlie.com where all the episodes are going to be there. If you follow the show, you know I'm doing this on purpose, if you follow the show... It is going to change your life. You will know more than 99% of the financial advisors in the country, and they're not going to be able to hurt you anymore. Last time I bought a car, I took someone with me who sold cars for 12 years. It was so much fun because the bad guys couldn't hurt me because she knew everything. She knew all the tricks, right? That's me. That's me in the financial services industry. I'm your Kelly. I'm the one you take with you to the bad guys. And they're not going to hurt you because I got your back. I already know the tricks they're going to pull, and I know more about financial services than them. So follow the show is the parting piece of advice because this education is worth thousands, if not hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars to you. How do you get in touch with me? Um, I'm like a website or domain named Junkie, and I'm really sorry about that. I'll try to get them all together at some point. But my email is charlie at meritplanning.com. M is in Mary, E-R-I-T is in Tom. So charlie at meritplanning.com. Or you can just go to my website jewettwealth.com j-e-w-e-t-t and find all the facebook and you know twitter links and all that kind of stuff awesome hey man i really appreciate your time this show is going to be probably the longest show to date but i don't know how we can talk about this uh this industry and talk about this subject without really giving it the time that it needs and i really appreciate your time charlie yeah man thanks for having me awesome we're out All right, Men of Abundance, that was one heck of a show. There is a lot of information we just shared with you, but I want to clarify two things really quick before I let you go. And I truly appreciate you sticking around this long. First, just to make sure I don't get a whole bunch of flack off of this, I am fully aware that many people have no desire to be homeless. They are homeless because of their circumstances. And I fully understand that and I fully get that. However, I have spoken with homeless people and I have spoken with other people that are in close contact with many homeless people. And some of them are homeless by choice. They get a lot of kickbacks from the state. They actually... Are, are living the life that they want to live. They live on the beach and they get paid to do so. So again, I want, I want to make sure I don't get too much flack off of that. And we can have this discussion in the Men of Abundance community on Facebook. And please do. But I just wanted to clarify that. The other thing I want to clarify is even those who by choice are living a homeless lifestyle or the lady that I mentioned on the radio show who is not homeless, she's living in a home and completely living off government assistance. That is her choice. And that is their choice. And I know many people do live that way by choice, but that is not abundant living. That is not living a life of abundance. It's my belief that that is selfish living. Those individuals that want to live off of somebody else's hard work, even though the system is set up for them to do so, is selfish living. We are here together as men to live a life of abundance and not a life of scarcity. We are not here to just take. We are here to give 
and we are here to take what we earn and take what we deserve. So I hope I made that clear. I just wanted to clarify that really quick. And we can continue this conversation if you go to Facebook and search for Men of Abundance Community, and I will have that link in the show notes. All right, that's all I have for you. Have an awesome day. Live your life of abundance, and don't forget to pay it forward. That's all for today, Abundance Leaders. For more about our guests and the powerful information we shared with you today, be sure to sign up for our mailing list at menofabundance.com. We appreciate your time and look forward to hanging out with you on our next episode. So until then, be sure to pay it forward and live your life of abundance.